Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 9 of Revelation chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 9. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I'll stop reading there. Now, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and now into chapter 12. And we have gone through some scripture in which God has been describing the birth of Christ, Actually, in a single verse, in verse 5, he described the birth of Christ and then the ascension of Christ at the end of his period of ministry, after his resurrection and and 40 days uh, time on earth when he ascended up to heaven. And immediately the Lord turned his attention and our attention as we read these things to the woman, the woman who had brought forth the man-child, the male son, the Lord Jesus And the woman fled into the wilderness. We read in verse 6, and and, um, the wilderness identifies with her position in the church that's in the world because she had a place prepared of God. And we read in Deuteronomy that God spoke of the place which he would choose for each one of the three major feasts that Israel was to observe And we saw that Passover, or unleavened bread, identified with the place of Israel. And first fruits, uh, the Feast of Weeks, identified with the place of the New Testament churches and congregations. And then the third and final feast, Tabernacles, or ingathering, identifies with the, uh, the world outside of the churches. That's when God would spiritually fulfill these feasts. And the woman fleeing into the wilderness is at the time when the church age is established and she uh, will be fed there, nourished there by God for this 1,203 score days. Now, the 1,260 days is a figure we should be familiar with back in chapter 11 in verse 3. It said, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And we we spent a good amount of time going over that, and we saw that the twelve hundred and sixty days and twelve hundred and sixty is three and a half years of thirty day months. That three and a half year period or twelve hundred and sixty days represented the entire church age from the time when when Christ um, had uh, again ascended and and uh, actually more um, uh, from the time when 
the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. That was really the official beginning of the church age. And then the 1260 days represent the whole 1955-year period until 1988 when the church age would come to an end. And the two witnesses prophesied over the course of that uh, 1955 years for almost 2,000 years. And um, the 1260 days relates to that period. Now, in our uh, chapter of Revelation 12, if we skip down to verses 13 and 14, it says there, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished, that's the same word as uh, feed, back in verse 6, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And here the time, times and a half, three and a half times, identifies with the 1260 days. It's saying the exact same thing. It's giving us the same information as verse 6. And, and therefore, the time, times and a half is a reference to the 1260 days. We would find, we're not going to look at it now, but where we find reference, the time, times and a half, its condition, that is, its meaning is determined by the context. And here we can establish the context is the 1260 days, and that's what the time, times and a half is referring to, which could be different in another verse depending on the context. The context determines what the three and a half is referring to. Well, uh, going back to, again, verse 6 says that God would feed her there for a thousand two hundred and three score days. We can safely understand that to mean the entire church age. She will have the place prepared by God in the churches, in the congregations, that's where God wanted his people to be during the course of the church age period. And that's where the word of God was. That's where the spirit of Christ was in the midst of the congregations. That's where God's people would be spiritually nourished. That God had prepared the church for that purpose as he established con- churches and congregations all over the world. Okay, let's go on to verse 7 of chapter 12. And it says there, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Okay, there's war in heaven. And then we read of the two sides. Michael and his angels, or Michael and his messengers, and the dragon and his angels. So these are the leaders of the battle, the war that's taken place in heaven. Michael is the the one that heads up God's kingdom, and the dragon is the one that heads up the enemy of God's kingdom. And we know that the dragon is Satan. Now, just like the dragon here is given another name. He's not called Satan or the devil. He's called the dragon. So, too, is the Lord Jesus Christ given another name. He's not 
referred to as Jesus uh, or Lord, but he's called Michael. Michael is a name of Christ, one of the many names of God. The name Michael comes from the Hebrew, and it means literally, who is God, or who assuredly is God. That's what the name Michael means. And it it's found um, a few times in the book of Daniel, twice in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel 10, uh, in verse 13, it says there, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, if Michael is Christ, then why would it say he's one of the chief princes? Why not um, the only chief prince? Princes indicates that there's more than one that are ruling. And, of course, the answer to that is God is a triune God. And Michael is a prince, and so too is the Father, and so too is the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not a problem at all that Michael is said to be one of the chief princes. And, And, by the way, concerning prince or princes, we read in Acts chapter 5, in Acts 5, verse 31, speaking of Jesus, him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. Jesus is a prince. He's king of kings and lord of lords, and he's a prince, according to Acts 5, verse 31. And so is Michael. Michael was one of the chief princes. And in Daniel 10, verse 21, it says, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. Michael, who is God, your prince. And then just one other time in the Old Testament in Daniel 12, In verse 1, it says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And and then it continues on. Michael is the great prince. He's a prince and a savior. He he is Christ. Uh, Just one last reference, I think, in the Bible to Michael, and that's in Jude in the little epistle of Jude that comes before the book of Revelation, it says in Jude 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a reeling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, Michael the archangel. And this verse is one of the reasons why you have so many um, theologians and people who try to say that Michael's just an angel. He's a chief angel. And, of course, that doesn't fit uh, what we know of angels. Angels are ministering spirits. They're, they're servants to the heirs of salvation. They're, they're not these mighty 
men of battle, as we read of Michael, that, that Michael is doing battle with the dragon, and they're not spoken of as chief prince or the great prince for uh, that stands for his people. That doesn't apply to any angel, uh, but it does apply to what we know of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that does battle with Satan and has fought against Satan. He is the prince and the savior, the great prince for his people. And he is the one here that's spoken of in this little epistle of Jude who contends with the devil. Now it says that Michael's the archangel, but the word ark means chief. Just as we saw in Daniel, he was the chief prince or one of the chief princes. And it's the same uh, word, except it's in the Greek. He is the chief messenger, as the word angelos can rightly and, and really ought to be translated as messenger in this case. It, he is the messenger of the covenant, as Malachi 3 verse 1 tells us, speaking of, of uh, Jesus. And he, therefore, he is the chief messenger of God. He is the one that carries the message of God who came into the world to fulfill the will of God, accomplishing the purpose of God. And Jesus, known here as Michael the Archangel, contended with the devil. There was a dispute between them regarding the body of Moses. And we can be sure that Satan, the devil, was making some sort of accusation. It, it's not proper, it's not correct, that uh, that Moses' body resurrected. Remember, we saw Moses in the New Testament, in the Gospel accounts on the Mount of Transfiguration, him and uh, Elijah and Christ, they they were transfigured before some of the apostles. And we know Elijah uh, never died. He was translated into heaven. And and so Satan didn't accuse uh, Elijah before Christ. No, uh, all right, that, that's a, another area perhaps he didn't want to get into. We, we know that Enoch earlier had been translated. So there were two individuals that were translated out of the world and into heaven and and necessarily equipped with new spiritual bodies as they were translated and and perhaps uh, since they did not physically die satan uh, is not trying to make any claim on them but moses physically died when he was on earth, we can read about that at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. He died at the age of 120 and God buried him. So he died and was buried and, and Satan's more than likely making an accusation, charging that he should wait for the resurrection. He should not have been, um, resurrected and given a new spiritual body before the time Satan is probably charging, and this would have been even, um, as far as we know, before Christ had gone to the cross. We're actually, I'm not sure about that. When exactly this uh, contention and this dispute between Christ and the devil is taking place, 
But I think that's enough for us to know that that it was over the body of Moses. He had died, and what is he doing in heaven in a resurrected body? All right, uh, the Bible says when when a child of God dies, uh, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. In their soul existence, they're with God. Why was Moses' body resurrected? Of course, God, having been slain as the lamb from the foundation of the world, did not need to um, answer to Satan. There was no wrongdoing here. Everything necessary for the resurrection of the people of God was accomplished before the world began from the point of its foundation as Christ died and rose again. It was only a matter of God working out the different eras and in the sending forth of his word to find the lost sheep of the house of Israel and bringing the gospel to their ears so they they could be redeemed and the blood of Christ applied to them. And the the going to the cross and dying on the cross and and going into the grave and resurrecting on the third day early Sunday morning was all a demonstration. It was all tableau. And if Satan was trying to make accusation related to that demonstration, he had no grounds for his charges. And of course, that's typical of Satan. He he um, would never have grounds for the things that he charges and accuses the saints of God as he, he made accusation against Job in the book of Job. And he's done it against many of the saints of God. Well, um, let's go back to Revelation 12. And verse 7 tells us there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. This is a spiritual battle between Christ and Satan. And then in verse 8 and into verse 9, And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And this is um, speaking of the dragon, Satan, the devil. We know it is because the next verse, verse 9, tells us, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And that that's, again, significant language as God first calls him the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. And that reminds us of what we read in Revelation 20, when uh, Satan was bound. It, it says in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now, remember, not here in um, in Revelation 12, but in Jude, Micah was called an archangel, a chief messenger. And that's who this angel is in Revelation 20. It's Christ the messenger of God. And I saw a messenger come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Notice the same names. And bound him a thousand years. He's called the dragon, serpent, devil, and Satan. Exactly 
as we find here in Revelation 12:9, the great dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And, and this time of the casting out of Satan from heaven is related to his binding for that figurative 1,000 years and uh, number 1,000 points to the completeness of whatever is in view. In this case, the completeness of Satan's binding during the church age. He will be bound for the whole period of the church age and along with that is this language of him being cast out of heaven. Now, um, it's a little difficult to understand why at this point Satan um, is in heaven or had access to heaven and why for over 11,000 years since man's fallen to sin, uh, being deceived by Satan back in the Garden of Eden, but for whatever reason, God permitted Satan access to heaven. And we have proof of that in Job, in Job 1, Job chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Jehovah, and Satan came also among them. And this is another occasion where Satan is accusing one of God's people. And here he's making accusation against Job. He does the very same thing in chapter 2. The same language. In in Job 2 verse 1, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Jehovah. And Satan came also among them to present himself before Jehovah. This shows us and reveals that Satan had access to Jehovah. And Jehovah is in heaven. He could come before God and accuse the brethren. He could accuse God's people and, and uh, make accusations against the body of Moses or, or against Job or, or, uh, who knows what else, um, he was accusing. And I think in one place we read he, he accused the saints or the brethren day and night. It, it was a constant uh, problem that Satan had access and yet God permitted it up until the cross when uh, he would be bound for that thousand years. We, we read in Luke chapter 10 in verse uh, 17 into verse 18. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And then Christ goes on to explain, giving the disciples power to tread on serpents and scorpions, because Satan's power is broken. That binding limits him, as this is looking ahead to the New Testament era of the sending forth of the gospel. And, And so Christ, even though he's speaking past tense, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He uh, really is looking ahead to the New Testament church age period. And and Satan fell. He fell because he was cast out. It was a violent uh, judgment of God as, as the battle was raging. And Christ won the battle. And, and Satan and his forces prevailed not 
neither was their place found any more in heaven. And then verse 9 again of Revelation 12 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in verse 10 saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren. There it is. That's where it's stated. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And we know from the context this is locked into the time after the cross. This is when Satan will pursue the woman because he has been cast down to the earth. He will he will constantly uh, go after her, trying to destroy her, just as he tried to destroy the man-child. And, and God even says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of this. Well, uh, when we get together in our next study, we'll, we'll pick this up. Uh, it's getting pretty interesting as God um, reveals these things to us. And, and who could write uh, in this manner but God? Who can speak of these um, incredible things, things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and and tell us the whole story, give us the whole picture, and it's all true. This is all describing the events, not only that take place in time amongst men, but the events that take place in heaven amongst spiritual beings. The, the Bible is just amazing. It's incredible with the amount of information that God possesses about all things. And he can speak on any of these things in our uh, uh, world, and in things of this earth, or in things beyond this world, in the spiritual realm. He can speak with perfect accuracy and truthfulness and faithfulness. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.